we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, folks, we are honored to be interviewing Margaret Wheatley. Hey, Ron, how's it going? Very good, Ed. I'm out here in smoky California. Yes, you are. Has, are you able to see the sun, or is it peaks behind... Mm -hmm. Lots of smoke. No, lots of smoke. Lot, last few days been really weird. Yeah. So mm. ho hope they but, say it's going to clear up this weekend, though. Hopefully the sun mm. will peek back out. Okay. Well, that's good. But, but you're not in danger. There's nothing by you, right? No. Specifically? I, no. I'm not, I'm not close. I'm not in evacuation territory. So, okay. Well, that's, that's good. That's good. Well, let's, let's get right to our, our guest. Uh, I'll read a quick bio here. Since 1966, Margaret Wheatley has worked globally in many different roles, a speaker, teacher, community worker, consultant, advisor, and formal leader. From these deep and varied experiences, she has developed the unshakable conviction that leaders must learn how to evoke people's inherent generosity, creativity, and need for community. As the world tears us apart, sane leadership on behalf of the human spirit is the only way forward. She's the author of nine books, including the classic Leadership in the New Science, which is the first book that I read of hers back in, I think, 1999, but the book came out in 92. Her newest book in 2017 was Who Do We Choose to Be? Facing Reality, Claiming Leadership, and Restoring Sanity. Welcome to, this, to the Soul of Enterprise, Margaret Wheatley. I'm very glad to be with you. So first question to you, Margaret, how are, are you holding up personally with regard to the whole COVID situation that we're going through? We live in, all live in Utah and Utah has this with great sanity, using science uh, on a strong value basis, which is the Mormon heritage here. So, and the second part of this is that my work has been preparing for uh, the great unraveling now for five years and all the training I'm doing is in preparation for this. So we can speak more about that. I, I feel I'm in a growth industry right now because I've been training leaders how to be warriors for the human spirit and really keep their values up front and know why they're in a leadership position. So my work is, is of great benefit at this point. Yes. Just this morning, I was, was talking with, with my mentor, a guy by the name of Howard Hansen, and he told me a story about his mother-in-law who is turning 100 next year, next week, I'm sorry. And, you know, what a great uh, story. And I w wished him well. And her, her husband passed 25 years ago. And he was saying that, but, but she, you know, could have gone down the path of being depressed about it. Instead, she embraced uh, the, uh, her new community. She became active in a bridge club and the, the place where she lived. And, and, I, and I was thinking, I, I wonder what someone going through that same situation today is how his mother-in-law did would be able to to do that with everything that's happened to us regarding COVID. So 
what what's been your thinking about the impact of COVID from a from a ability to build strong community standpoint? Well, uh, since I've been actively engaged in building strong community, among those who answer the question, who do we choose to be? So these are people who willingly step forward to serve at this time. And what I'm finding is that, and I hear this from many, many different people, um, people have a great need to be together. And Zoom, surprising all of us, has allowed for greater intimacy uh, without all the background noise, without all the group dynamics. Now, we're all getting fatigued, but we are more and more we're in deeper relationships, but with fewer people. But if we can be in relationships with people who are of the same mind, who have the same intention and aspiration, that how can I lead well? How can I serve this time? Uh, we're finding it a great necessity to be together. There's actually more cohesion now than there was before because we need we need to find meaningful work if we are in a leadership capacity or a community service capacity. So in that way, it has benefited us greatly. And yet the sad news is uh, why what's drawing us together is a great need to serve as more and more people suffer quite terribly and the planet pushes back quite horribly. So there's a great need for service and, and we're, um, very committed to that. Sure. So it's the, the people stepping up at, at this time to, to be willing to put themselves on the line with regard to being willing to get on uh, uh, Skype calls or Zoom calls as opposed to resisting that technology. Exactly. Exactly. Still. Yeah. Yeah. And even when we complain now of Zoom fatigue, because it's it's quite noticeable, you spend three or four hours and you're just like zoomed out <laughs> in many different <laughs> ways. Um, but it is the gift of this technology. Um, it's a real gift that we can communicate and connect this way visually as well. So there is much greater intimacy and in paying attention to one another if you're in a good conversation on Zoom, not if if you're in a boring meeting, then people, everyone turns their screens off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Or, or, the, or the other way. Doing. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Or, the, or the other way. Where one, one, uh, one quote I heard was, you know, what are, what are we going to be able to do when we go back to live meetings and can't mute all? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and go do something else. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But, uh, you know, which leads me into the next question that I wanted to ask you. And I I mentioned before we started recording that I've been a reader of your books for a a couple of of decades now. And that I have physical copies of some of your books as opposed to just just Kindle stuff. And um, it was a great treat to go back and reread some of some of the the works that I had encountered a dozen years ago or more. And one of them was your book, A Simpler Way. And opening in that book reminded me a little bit about Yuval Levine's new book, which is called A Time to Build, where he's talking about the need to, to refirm up our institutions, but in a more positive way, because he says they've gone from being formative of the people in them to just being platforms that other people use 
and allow, and it even allows others who crack the code to come in. And you think about what's happened with our political parties, you know, both in a sense, Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, to a certain extent, were outside of the institutions that they rose in because they just used them as platforms rather than being shaped by them or helping to shape them. Thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on this, so I'm going <laughs> to launch into it right now. Good. <laughs> In uh, my most recent 2017 book, I do have a new work, which I will speak of later, but the title of the book was Who Do We Choose to Be? And the subtitle was, first of all, Facing Reality. So what is the reality of where we are now? And my um, a great love of history has led me to explore other historical writing of what is the pattern of a human civilization. Now, the first thing to notice is we go from communal, clan-based, non-hierarchical structures, very focused on, on uh, being together in very productive ways, but then we it was a shock to me since I've spent so many years asking for organizations to organize as life does in self-organizing ways that build on people's motivation and where leaders play a very minor role, not command and control. Uh, but it was a shock that life organizes that way, but we never do. As a species, we always build hierarchy. And that, that, organizational structure become whether it's you know church related uh every civilization creates the same institutions judicial systems infrastructure roads irrigation systems markets it's just who we are this is the real dna of, of the human species and we create institutions that over time become these overbearing bureaucracies that no one can afford. And that is in the last stage of every civilization that's ever existed on the planet, no matter where you are or your cultural differences. But we develop these overweening, vividly obese bureaucracies that then we cannot afford to fund. Just think healthcare in this country or think higher education, which is unaffordable now. Um, and, and then these institutions implode. So when you look at people who use these institutions like Bernie Sanders, it's quite different with Trump and I'm not gonna say them in the same breath. But what Sanders was doing and many people were doing was asking for a complete reboot of how do we do and how do we do healthcare? And they were, he was outside the institutions because once these institutions have emerged, there is no way to change them. You have to start over. And that's, um, and I'm, what I'm saying now is not political, it's history. This is what we humans do. So um, I, I firmly believe, and I have a strong scientific basis for what I'm about to say, when a system has emerged, there is no way to change this emergent structures cannot be uh, deconstructed. It's a whole different entity that emerges. I'm just speaking biology now and I could, if we have time, I'll give my chocolate chip cookie explanation of this, but we really need to understand 
understand where we are that so we can choose what is right action, what is good leadership, what is sane behavior. And it's not trying to tamper with or fix these institutions. They always reach this stage of complete impotence and egregious power, uh, completely uh, oppress people within the culture. And then they collapse from their own weight, from their own ineffectiveness and their own inability to change. So that's where we are. Yes. Wow. Well, we're up against our first break. I want to remind everyone that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise. And also, please keep note that we do have, have now a new sponsor of our, of our bonus episodes out on Patreon, the 90 Minds Group. And the best thing to do to contact them is 90minds.com. And it's, it's, a, it's a matter to be a mind. Okay. Now, a word from our sponsor. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Margaret Wheatley, the author of, among other books, Leadership and the New Science, Discovering Order in a Chaotic World. It's out in its third edition as of 2006. And Meg, it was the first book of yours I read in 1996 or 97, because I was introduced to it in an article that uh, from an author who I really admired was quoting about change. And he quoted you and I thought what he quoted was deeply profound. So I ran out and got your book. Um, and, and it is profound. And, and I can imagine because I would, you had a business audience somewhat in mind. 
I can just imagine some people going, well, what am I supposed to do Monday morning? We're so used to checklists and just, you know, being right. guided by the nose. Did you ever get that type of feedback with the book? Oh, I got much worse than that. I got, <laughs> you know, uh, one reviewer said that I don't live in California, but he made a mistake. He said, she's just been sitting in her hot tub in California eating too many avocados. I mean, he was just dismissed everything and then other people they just couldn't handle the basic premise of the book which is the way that life organizes here on this planet through non-hierarchical highly participative self-organized organization and that was such a foreign concept that people just dismissed it um, you know but it's certainly proven true and more and more people have built on that initial work well you know and we could we could talk about the current situation which is uh one of pure chaos so far not yet self-organizing into any kind of visible order for what we do going forward well i love how you weave in you, you you wrote that there's three different areas of science that you were intrigued by quantum physics self organizing systems and chaos theory and and you do such a great job of explaining those, especially to a, you know, a layman like me. Um, and any one of those is every one of those that you discuss is profound, but you quote, when it comes to system thinking, uh, the ancient Sufi teaching that captures the shift in focus, this, this idea that you think because you understand one, you must understand two because one and one makes two but you must also understand and. Yes, so now I could, speak, I could speak about emergence because that is a quote that deals with emergence. Beautiful. Um, from a mechanistic incremental view of life, which we have gotten horribly wrong. Um, emergence is the process by which everything changes in life and by which systems are built. And it's been the hardest uh, yet most important concept in the new sciences to really understand. This is how all of life organizes. So what happens in a system, in, in a neighborhood, in a habitat, in an organization at its start, not once it's formed, is that everyone is doing their own thing and interacting with each other. And it's through those interactions that something is, and what emerges is different than and not predictable from the individual parts. So here comes the chocolate chip cookie. So if you take all the ingredients of a chocolate chip cookie and lay them out, you've got flour, salt, leavening agent, um, butter, chocolate chips, um, possibly eggs, and... Uh, you look at all of them, nothing predicts the taste of a chocolate chip cookie. Even the chocolate doesn't. And what happens is when you mix them all together, a chocolate chip cookie emerges as a new thing. And if you made a mistake in, in the baking of it, like you put too much salt in or too much baking powder in, you can't undo it, right? You right. can't change it. 
And that's what's true of every emergent system. Once it has emerged, and you could be thinking organizational or family cultures here. Once this has emerged, it's not like anything we even wanted necessarily, but we're stuck with it. And, and in organizations, so much of organizational change has been, well, we don't like what, who we are. We don't like we didn't succeed at this project. So let's change the team. Let's change something in the values. Let's tinker coming from uh, at the level of trying to deconstruct what we have. And the great, great teaching, but it's very hard to, to uh, accept, when something has emerged like a chocolate chip cookie, you cannot work backwards. You have to start over. Right. And one of our, I think, one of the things at this time for all of us good leaders who really are trying to make sense of something is uh, all these systems that emerged were not capable of being changed the way they needed to change. So we were already stuck. My 2012 book described this so far from home, uh, really described we cannot change the way healthcare operates. We cannot change higher education. We cannot change politics in all countries now. Um, so what do we do? Well, we start over, but we weren't doing that. And now comes a period of, of uh, great chaos. It's not yet known. I don't think the factors are known of how this is going to self-organize. But we will have in the midst of this terrible breakdown, uh, um, not yet. A lot of people are rushing to figure it out, but I think that's just a waste of effort. Um, but what are, how are we going to start over wherever we are? If you're a team leader, now you're starting over with whole new conditions. For major corporations and businesses, they have to start over with really, what's our fundamental business? <laughs> Uh, if you just think airline industry or tourism, they're just, you know, plummeting and falling apart. And the whole world that was structured around, the whole business world structured around business travel, that's gone. But what's going to emerge out of it? Well, we already know working at home is one of those things. But what is that going to require to create a good culture? I mean, we were joking about how people just turn off, put everything on mute. Uh, you can't hold a boring meeting on Zoom, okay? People can just disappear on you. So that's a nice little shit possibility there. How are we going to create work environments that are truly stimulative and truly ask, demand people's creativity and motivation we're not there yet. Right now, we're trying to fit everything we've done into an online environment, and we're just um, depressing people. We're, uh, I think productivity indicators are no measure because there's fewer people doing the same amount of work, so productivity looks good. But what is happening to our human motivation, our human spirits, our desire to contribute? and to do something meaningful. All of that is yet to be discerned. Right now, when I look at what's going on in organizations, I see that uh, frantic, fearful senior leaders are pushing, making demands for certainty and goals 
and predictability. They're pushing it down through the organization on these hapless staff people because they need something to grasp onto. So we are not yet, we're still in the breakdown stage. And to understand that starting over now is a necessity in the past, it would have been a good thing, but now we're really there. And for really leaders who are intent on creating good work and satisfying work, um, we need a lot of rethinking of, of how to do that as we stay separated from each other, as we have tremendous loss in certain industries. So uh, we're dealing with starting over, but we don't yet know the full dimensions of that. Do you think this COVID crisis is, you know, you explained really well how you have to go through a period of chaos to emerge in a new way. Do you think this this crisis could be that point of chaos that, that will... It could be, but I don't think it's going to materialize that way because what I see already, and this is predictable if you just think about human nature, is in so many more people are just clenching to the old ways uh, because there's so much uncertainty and so much fear in them. So for the people who are willing to really let go and encounter a new reality, then I think there's some promise. But, but as a generalization, I would say what I'm seeing now is just a great desire to uh, hold on, to salvage. I mean, I'm seeing corporations put more emphasis on old policies now, you know, <laughs> like they're not getting a message that none of this applies anymore. I was just dealing with musicians whose uh, major media companies are saying, are holding them to old royalty agreements that make no sense whatsoever. Um, and that's happening in, in many different places. We are in a brave new world and uh, I don't think we're going to use the opportunity. No, I don't see that. You know, in the book, you talked about what biology has taught you, and it, it taught you you can have faith in the system. If a system is suffering, this indicates that it lacks sufficient access to itself. It could be lacking information, or it might have lost clarity about who it is, trouble with relationships. Can you explain that? Because I just think that is so profound. It lacks sufficient access to itself. Yeah. Um... Uh, this is an essential understanding uh, that if information does not circulate freely, then anything alive, let's include people here, um, does not have the ability to adapt to the current reality. And one of the great travesties that's going on now is um, so much lying that it then creates uh, an, an air of, well, you can't believe anybody. This is something that the great German historian Hannah Arendt said many, many years ago in the mm -hmm. 60s, that when people are lied to, um, it's not that they just don't believe the lie or they believe the lie. It's that the whole environment shifts and they don't believe anything. And that's where we are. So for a system to 
to understand its environment, it needs full and rich information. And part of that information comes from within the system. This will be where I would add a different emphasis uh, 28 years on from what I wrote then. But when a system uh, doesn't have adequate information from all of its constituent parts, so we're seeing this with with Black Lives Matter. We're seeing this with the stories now that have been there but never um, uh, credited or respected of, of systemic racial issues. And I worked on that in the 70s in major corporations. So if the system isn't willing to take in the information that's out there then the system cannot adapt and the system like all living systems will eventually die of its right. own blindness and that's you know that's where we are in in most arenas this day not just certainly not just in america but around the world and i just want to add i just um learned i've been reading a manuscript by a native american lakota uh four arrows and he's quoting from 1890s chief sitting bull and one of the quotes it just stopped me cold it said the earth does not lie (laughs) and that just says it all to (laughs) me and we are of the earth therefore we don't lie but of course (laughs) we do but the earth doesn't lie so you know the information we're getting now with these incredible disasters and fires and up and down the whole west coast of the U.S. and in Siberia. Um, uh, What one official said, these are climate fires. They're not wildfires. They're climate-induced fires. That's information that we have just refused to accept. Are we going to now realize what's going on with the planet heating up? This year is the hottest on record for the planet. are we going to do anything about it? Well, I wouldn't put any money on that. Well, Meg, I'm in California. And so yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. But unfortunately, we're up against our next break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to ask TSOE at verisage.com. We will post full show notes to Margaret Wheatley, uh, our conversation with her and her books where you can access them. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. 
look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Back with Margaret Wheatley on The Soul of Enterprise. And Margaret, during our break, one of the things that you mentioned to us is that you really wanted to get an opportunity to address our audience and, and be present to give them a, a talk about le- being lead- leaders as leaders. And I thought that was a really interesting turn of phrase. What, what do you mean by that? And w- let enlighten us. Well, it's the what kind of leader do you consciously choose to be now that we're in this terrifying time. Um, Historically, there are always a few people and only a few who in the quote of one historian raise the banner of duty and service against the common uh, place despair that's going on. And so the three subtitles of who do we choose to be, which is the question I'm now speaking about, who do you choose to be? You have position, you have power, you have influence. Now you may deny all of those, but certainly if you're a formal leader or a concerned citizen or a community leader, um, the question is, how are we going to use our power and influence in the midst of ourselves feeling um, despairing or grief-stricken or overwhelmed by anxiety? So the three subtitles of who do we choose to be are facing realities. So I've spoken about that. Claiming leadership. That's where I am right now. And then the kind of leadership we claim is the third subtitle, restoring sanity. I define a sane leader as one who knows, deeply knows, has unshakable confidence that people can be creative, generous, and kind. The can be is our work as leaders. We have to decide right now, are we just going to Uh, cocoon ourselves, remove ourselves, because the world is so harsh and scary, and it's only getting worse. And that's predictable in the pattern of history. So who do we choose to be? Am I going to step forward or am I going to withdraw? It's only a few people who step forward, but those people are always what I now call warriors for the human spirit, leaders who are willing to take risks and be courageous and be work on behalf of people. So we know that people can be creative, generous, and kind. We've all had experiences with that. And we know in ourselves, this is true of us. And what's true in us is true of 
7.8 billion people. But we as leaders have the opportunity to create the conditions for people to rediscover, if they ever knew it, that they can be creative, that they are, we are naturally a highly compassionate species, except when threatened with our survival. Um, so kindness is intrinsic to human nature, but except when we're in survival. So right now, so many people are in survival mode. And I think it's up to us as leaders to understand that we could play, I call it noble, the nobility of leadership, because if you can create the conditions in your organization or your team or your family or your community where people rediscover, oh yeah, it's much better to be collaborative. It's much better to be generous. I actually like working with my fellow mates again. Um, and we can do that, but we can only do it in small areas. So I'm now describing our, our sphere of influence as an island of sanity. And in that island of sanity, we can practice all the old good ways of participative leadership, high engagement leadership, innovative, setting the conditions for innovation. But it's an island. It has to be protected from these uh, terrible dynamics of fear and competition and survival that are present in most organizations and in most nations at this point. So there's a lot of great work to do for those leaders who are bold enough to say, okay, I really want to contribute. And the way I can contribute, we're not going to turn these systems around, but I can create an island where people reconnect with their basic human, basic good human qualities. And I think this is, I don't expect this ever to be a mass movement. Historically, it's only a few people, but I can say it is highly satisfying, meaningful work in the midst of so much despair and meaninglessness now. Yeah, I think uh, uh, riffing off of Milton Friedman said something. He was talking in an economic context, but it, what you were talking reminded me of this quote. He said, you know, we, our job is to keep these ideas around so that when the impossible becomes the inevitable, the ideas are still around. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's funny, we, when we, even before we started recording today, we were talking about your books and I said I had them and, and they were always beautifully done with photo essays and, and poetry in them. T talk a little bit, we have a, a few minutes before our break, and now I see why you haven't released a new book, but instead have posted online the Warriors for the Human Spirit, a song line, a guided journey by voice and sound. To so talk a little bit about that offering that you've made with, a, is it a Joe, a Jerry Granelli? Is that correct? Jerry Grinelli is my co-pilot in training warriors for the human spirit and using the song line form, which is as a form is what you need to learn is by going on a journey. And in the Australian Aboriginal, who are the, those who created the song line form, it's in the landscape. Um, so I put, everything that I have learned about what it takes to be a warrior for the human spirit and created a, a scene, a whole landscape. It's mostly in Utah um, 
of what we need to learn. And then we paired it with Jerry's incredible music. He is a very well-known, established, famous jazz drummer and composer. And I pulled from 25 different CDs. Um, and we created a soundscape as well as my narrative, which is all audio. So it's not an audio book. It's a total immersion experience very very powerful and people can listen to samples of it on my website yes which we will definitely post um and the, the last thing i wanted to to uh, talk with you a little bit about before ron takes us home until the top of the hour is i, I and i've signed up for this that in next week you're you're starting a uh, to be part of a, a thing called leadership for a changing world a program that's being offered um right. what what, what's tell, tell us a little bit about what you're going to, I imagine you're going to be talking about worries for the human spirit, yeah, but what, what about that's this all whole I talk about? Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that's Barrett Kohler, who is my publisher and was the person the publishing company who took a risk with leadership in the new science and Peter Block's works. And, uh, and they're extraordinary publishing independent publisher so periodically they do these worldwide summits using their authors and they have a great stable of authors. So this one is focused on how, you know, leadership for a changing world and, and all I talk about these days, I'm trying to summon every person who is enticed to step forward into thinking of themselves in a different way as a leader, as a true warrior. And I've gotten a lot of pushback. Well, that's militaristic. Well, it is in most cases, but there's also the nonviolent or spiritual warriors. And we make a commitment to not add to the fear and aggression of this time. That's very difficult. It takes a lot of training to do that when you're in meetings. Um, and, and the, the, weapons, quote, weapons that we're working to develop is compassion, which includes really being uh, and, and really being present and insight um, so that we can discern clearly so we can act wisely. But these are all people who come into the training who want to stay, who want to be useful, who want to be available while all hell is breaking loose around us. We've just created a new role for ourselves, which historically, it's why the word warrior is so essential. Historically, there are always a few people who step forward and who train themselves. Um, and we're, we're different. I mean, we're committed to serving people and not scurrying away out of fear or self-protection. So that's what I will speak about. I always speak about now. Outstanding. Well, we'll put a link up to that on the website as well and invite people to to join myself. I've signed up for the program, as I mentioned. Yeah, and it's totally but, free. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, Margaret, I'm going to say goodbye to you now because Ron's going to take you the last 15 minutes. But I want to thank you so much for, for being a guest. This is It's been a, a real thrill to meet one of my, my heroes from a, a, a business author standpoint. So thanks so much for, for being on the show. Thank you. All right, and now a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Margaret Wheatley, author of Leadership and the New Science. And Meg, I have to tell you, you you had a section in the book, I forget the chapter, but you talked about Frederick Taylor, Frank Gilbreth, and you said, I still find this early literature frightening to read. <laughs> you, you'll be happy to know that our very first show on this program was bashing Frederick Taylor. Uh, yeah, but I, he's alive and well. He is. And that was my yeah. question. Why? We call it the cult of efficiency, but why now, do you think his allure is so powerful? It's the need for control. And it's a complete misperception of who people are, what motivates us, how to how to get us to contribute 110%. It, it's fear of people that if you don't control them, they will go crazy on you. They'll slack off. They won't do their work. And they'll try and sabotage the company. Now, you create all of those behaviors when you impose controlled leadership on people. And then it's a self-reinforcing <laughs> cycle of See, we told you these people weren't trustworthy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's horrible, it, and of course, it, it's uh, much worse now that we have uh, dashboards and we can chronicle useless number performance measures on productivity. Um, yeah, it took hold, and but the basic fear is on the part of leaders is not recognizing that every human being has potential and the leaders think they're special and they think they have to control everyone. Uh, and, and you, that kind of fear of, of human beings just creates havoc and it creates these, you know, I, I hear different uh, statistics, but one I heard recently, I mean, I used to work with these, how many people hate their jobs. You know, yes. and um, and of course, all of this is, is changing by working at home. 
I don't know which direction is changing, but uh, and more people are leaving their jobs now as well, uh, if they still have them to leave. So, it, but it's all based on complete mis mis uh, perception of who we are. We're all people who want to contribute, who want to learn, who want to make a slight difference with our lives, whether it's just for our children or for something greater. And yet command and control comes in and just destroys that, obliviates it. I mean, it just knocks it out of you. And then you get more control. It does. I mean, we've created organizations that are less creative, adaptable, than than the people inside of them. Gary oh, Hamill forever. thinks it's bureaucracy. <laughs> he he his new book, Humanocracy, is just a screed against bureaucracy and how we need to kill it. And he gives lots of examples of companies that have. But why do you I, why is that? I mean, do you do you see us overcoming bureaucracy or these types of command? Now, what control? I said at the beginning with the lessons of history, we always create hierarchy and we always put people down. There's always a ruling class and the rest of us. And by the way, historically, the elites in the ruling class always take everything for themselves. So a, a view of one percenters is not new. It's historically predictable that it happens. And I've worked with enough senior leaders to know they believe they are special. And everyone else is uh, lucky to have them <laughs> <laughs> taking charge, you know, and therefore they deserve these enormously different differential salaries. I mean, the whole system is skewed. So you can't get rid of bureaucracy. I mean, that's where I go back to history. Every civilization reaches this point of complete and total dysfunction of the systems it created to provide capacity. So we started education, we started healthcare, we started um, military, we started judicial systems, and they all crumble on their, of their own weight. And so you just, we have to get through this. I mean, there's, there's, you can posit what needs to change, but it ain't gonna change now. We have to get through this period and it's gonna be far beyond our lifetime. We've done a few shows on organizational change management, and you quote in the book, 75% of these initiatives fail, or at least don't live up to the right. people's expectations. Fail. Fail. Yeah. Um, and and but, I know you But let's, let's bring it to the present moment. All of these organizations that resisted change, that spent billions of dollars or millions of dollars on hiring consultants, doing long-term culture change, where are they all now? They're in a totally new landscape. Right. It doesn't matter what they did. It's how they are now going to respond or either they're gonna react out of fear or respond out of intelligence to figure out how to, how to be, how to succeed in this new environment, which is one of constant turbulence now, economic, uh, we haven't yet begun to see the economic impacts that are accruing everywhere in the world at this point. So everything we knew or tried about organizational change, I believe, is 
I'm going to say it and I, I diss my own work for 30, for 50 <laughs> years. It's irrelevant. We need to come to terms with we are living in a time of unforeseeable continuous disruption. And therefore, who we choose to be, what our core values are, what our core orientation is to serving others, to making life a little better where we are. I mean, that's where we are right now. Yeah. I, you know, you wrote, and I just thought this was lovely. I, you said I was well-trained to create things, plans, events, measures, programs. I invested more than half my life in trying to make the world conform to what I thought was best for it. It's not easy to give up the role of master creator and move into the dance of life. Well, we all gave it up. We all gave it up. And it's not a dance right now. It's not a dance. It is pure, terrifying chaos. Right. So we have to, and that's why I keep saying you have to make a conscious choice of how you personally, as a leader, informal, formal, citizen, parent, how are you going to respond to this time? Because nothing from the past serves us except our, our clarity about what is the value of a human life and what is, how do I feel about other human beings and do I want to serve them from where I am? I mean, we've, we're in a huge reset mode and we don't even yet know what we're resetting for. So I, I push people more and more to the inner work to their, uh, how are they at maintaining their own presence? How are they at not getting dragged off by their own anger, rage, grief, frustration? I mean, these deep, deep emotions now that we're all confronted with on a daily basis, if you're halfway awake to what's going on in the world, how are we preparing ourselves to be available for other people? That's the bottom line for me. Well, Margaret, this has been an honor to chat with you. I just, I, the, the book is just terrific. Highly recommended everybody leadership in the new science. Make sure you get the third edition. It, it's absolutely profound. You'll think your way through this book. It'll give you new words to use, new models to think about, new ways to see the world. It's had a profound impact on me, Meg. Thank you so much uh, for being Thank on the Soul you. of Enterprise. Ed, what's on store for next week? Next week, Ron, we are having friend of uh, the Soul of Enterprise, John Garrett, on the show to talk about where he's what he's doing nowadays. Oh, okay, a comedian. So that that'll lighten things yeah. up a little bit. <laughs> All right, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. Sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, that's 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. <laughs>